You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Riverwise Podcast. I'm Megan, and I'm sitting here today with Miss um, Tawana Petty. Um, Tawana is, I mean, if you don't know about Tawana Petty, um, it's probably time that you did a little bit of diving into who um, is really on the scene in the city, working and fighting for everybody's rights in some pretty targeted ways. Um, Tawana spent over 15 years teaching poetry, writing poetry, um, as a visionary tool for resistance to unjust policies and practices. Um, primarily, you'll find her in spaces advocating and creating policy to advance um, the, our, our data and digital uh, privacy rights. She's one of the founding members of Riverwise Magazine. Um, and so thank you for that. Yes, <laughs> I love Riverwise. Hey. Um, and she's the committee member of the Detroit Digital Justice Coalition. Um, and then the founder, founding director of Petty Propolis. And through Petty Propolis, um, she hosts workshops, artist retreats, and does anti-racism training. And in that vein, then, she's also the author of one of my favorite um, books, um, and oh. it's, it's called Towards Humanity, Shifting the Culture of Anti-Racism Organizing. And if you haven't read it, I recommend that you go online, um, look it up, get yourself a copy. It's an amazing tool for thinking through um, how we think beyond these old outdated narratives um, that aren't serving us um, and how we actually move towards um, uh, the kinds of practice and theory um, that actually advance liberation. So welcome, Tuana. Thank you, Megan. I'm so honored to sit with you. And I could have said all those things about you. So, uh, no. Uh, no. Um, yeah. So we wanted to talk uh, with Tawana today because there's a lot going on um, across the city in terms of digital justice um, and data privacy rights. There's a real need for us to dig into, like, like I said, these actual practices of anti-racism. Um, and then also it's really important to talk to people who have their like finger on the pulse of not just this moment, but also like we're taking pulses, you know, here to four so we can see where are we at, where are we going, what's going on. Um, so first I would love for you to just kind of introduce yourself a little bit, like what led you to this work? Um, what led you to this, the, the space of organizing um, in general? Ooh. Uh, so, uh, as you said, Tawana Petty, also known as Honeycomb. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a mom, first and foremost, even though my son is 26 now. So he's like, OK, you know, I'm pretty grown. I'm like, but I'm still your mom. Mm-hmm. So that's like first, dinner. right. <laughs> it's like first on my bio. Um, but, yeah, you know, what led me to this work? That is such a complicated story because I feel like I've been in these various iterations of movement over the last several decades. So it's like, initially I might've jumped into this work because, you know, I recognized, you know, racism. Like I grew up in the so-called post-racial 
Detroit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Post-racial America where people weren't talking about racism. And so um, I started to get into that work um, after I started forming that analysis. But then it shifted to trying to create like alternatives to some of the systems that exist out here. Then that shifted to trying to re-spirit through poetry and art. Mm-hmm. Then that shifted to start doing like water rights advocacy work. Mm-hmm. And now I do a lot in the data and digital privacy space. Mm-hmm. And so um, so I've had these lots of ebbs and flows of uh, how I see my commitment and responsibility to the movement. Okay. And as you've like kind of gone through those various iterations over the years in your career, mm-hmm. um, what are some of the changes that you've perceived in, you know, how people approach doing the kind of work that it takes to bring equitable policies into the city? Mm-hmm. Um, and even then how the public is reacting to, you know, the people who may not be in tune to activism work or are just getting introduced to it? Have you noticed shifts in how people are engaging with you or the work? Or Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll just use the two things, the thinking, the Taurus Humanity, um, Shifting the Culture Anti-Racism book, right? Um, I do a lot of anti-racism workshops and ch- challenging anti-Blackness, but also challenging non-Black people to like really dig into their deepest level of humanity and tap into their ancestral lineage in a way that allows for you to be a co-liberator, a collective liberator, and see yourself as part of the liberation struggle. Um, And there's a lot of, there was a lot of resistance when I first brought Mm -hmm. that book out in 2018. Now it's much more commonplace conversation. Mm -hmm. And so that's one example. And then my work around pushing back against the conflation between surveillance and safety, as Mm -hmm. well as consent and coercion Mm -hmm. um, and thinking about data and digital practices uh, with regard to like mass surveillance and systems like uh, Detroit's Project Greenlight. Uh, facial recognition and things like that. And so it's like uh, when I was starting to lift up some of the research, the well-known research that I was reading and some of the relationships that I was building in that AI ethics, uh, anti-surveillance work, uh, folks were really like, what are you talking about? We need to give the police everything that they want, mm-hmm. you know, all levels of surveillance. I'm, I'm never saying that there weren't folks already on the ground doing work, but the, sur- the you know, surveillance ain't safety was not a commonplace analysis in mm-hmm. Detroit. And now you could go pretty much anywhere and hear people saying that, you know, or um, saying that, you know, Project Greenlight is not serving us. Face recognition is racist, um, a racist technology. And so, you know, yeah, I've, I've seen a shift. I mean, we might not win all of our efforts, but I've seen a shift. And mm-hmm. narrative is one of the biggest, most important aspects of trying, you know, of winning a movement, right? Mm-hmm. You shift the narrative, you shift the people's uh, perspective of something, then folks liberate themselves from systems that are unjust. Mm. Um, yeah. Can we potentially also, too, just explain for people um First, I guess, what is digital justice? Mm. And yeah, so let's start there. What's digital justice? Yeah, so when I think about digital justice or data justice or any of the justices, right, I'm (laughs) thinking of 
centering racial equity. I'm thinking of um, folks being able to experience a system, an infrastructure, a society that doesn't make decisions about their lives based on their racial demographic, their uh, sexual preference, their gender identity, their income status, what zip code they live in, what type of job they have. And so um, that translate every everything that happens on the ground translates to the digital stratosphere, right? So it's like um, if you're being violated on the ground and there aren't mechanisms in place to prevent that type of violation, it's going to end up on the internet and you're Mm -hmm. you're gonna have a much more pervasive um, uh, type of injustice that crosses over societies in like the blink of a matter of a second or Mm -hmm. less, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, digital justice is trying to infuse consent and racial equity and um, and all forms of humanity Mm -hmm. into the digital ecosystem, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, one of the things I have, um, you know, because sometimes it can it it seems uh, minute if you're not the person it's affecting. Right. But I I have a friend and and it might seem simple if it's not affecting you. But um, one of the reasons, for example, that like Google Hangouts Mm -hmm. is um, um, is actually better for people of color to use is Mm. because one of the CEOs at Google is an Indian man who has darker skin mm. and start, he started realizing, Oh snap, nobody can see me on these zoom calls. Mm. And so they changed the way their lighting functions work within their platform. And that might seem really simple, yeah, but it's well, actually like if you're yeah. in a meeting with other people and they can't see you and they're only perceiving you as a shadow, yeah. that's problematic because so much of human con- communication works on mm-hmm. like being able to just see the other person. Yeah, and so I even think about little nuanced things like that when it comes. No, I to- agree, and it's complicated. I always think about the the resistance and the pushback, even at places like Google, because I have a friend, Dr. Timnit Gebru, who was you know ousted from Google mm-hmm. for. Oh yeah, I'm not. Saying that ethics. No, no, no. I didn't take it like that. Yeah. I just feel the responsibility in that work field to yeah. like lift up. Yeah. But there were people who were like behind the scenes who were like pushing for that type of ethical um, and racial justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 she's a perfect example of that. She was she was terminated for doing that work. And then mm-hmm. if you look at Twitter right now, and Elon Musk has just laid off the meta, the Twitter meta team, not to be confused with Facebook's meta, but that was their ethical conscience mm-hmm. of Twitter to make mm-hmm. sure that we're having uh, as much as possible an ethical, racially mm-hmm. just, nonviolent um, experience on mm-hmm. Twitter, and that entire team was let go today. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, so there is just so much, and 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 that's not to say there are there are lots of individuals at Google who are doing important work to try and do right, just like there are individuals in any. Mm-hmm. institution or job that are trying to do right. But if the, you know, you and I talk about all the time, if, if it's, there isn't a systemic mm-hmm. impact mm-hmm. made, then things like laying off the whole team yeah. can get rid of that ethics conscience mm-hmm. overnight. Oh yeah. We cannot like, yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, we can't lay our like salvation at the hands of billionaires. Right. <laughs> so, exactly. Like they're never, exactly. they're not gonna. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. 
Um, you know, what's interesting about this, too, I want to talk a little bit about ShotSpotter, mm. if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so for anybody who's not aware, um, there have been the, in the city of Detroit, there was um, an issue of this surveillance technology called ShotSpotter mm-hmm. um, that has been um, uh, used in other cities across America um, the one that I know the most about is Chicago, yeah. where and so if you don't know. Shotspotter is a technology that's able, they say, to record um, uh, the sound of a gunshot. <laughs> and once that gunshot sound is recorded, it goes to a police dispatch center, and they say they can pinpoint where the the shot came from. They dispatch a police officer to that area. Crime solved. Woohoo! We can all go home. Yeah. Okay. All of the research that has come out about this technology shows that it it just doesn't work. Categorically, it doesn't work. It picks up other sounds, loud bangs, fireworks, cars Audio. backfiring. Yeah, just somebody being loud. Like it, and you know, I think some. I don't. You know, I don't want to like misquote the statistics, but I want to say that it was something like. 89% of the like calls it was sending people out on were just a waste of time. Yeah, yeah depending on the Democrat where mm-hmm. they were. Yeah. And what it's led to is um, police getting dispatched in an escalated way into, you know, unfortunately, typically um, neighborhoods that are populated with people of color. Mm-hmm. And then they're all juiced up now because they've heard that there was a gunshot mm-hmm. and it's given them license to harass people. Um, and, uh, yeah, just basically have another, it's almost like the seatbelt, you know, like another way to just like profile people with, and have a legitimate excuse or legitimate in quotes to do so. So anyways, back to Detroit, Mm -hmm. (laughs) of course, Detroit was like, let's bring that technology here Mm -hmm. to the city. Um, and a lot of people in Tawana included, um, the Detroit Justice Center, a, a large coalition of people have came together to be like, no. Right. Um, and so at the last city council meeting, mm-hmm. uh, we were both there. And I remember feeling um, for a moment of some de- defeatism mm-hmm. um, of hearing the voices of citizens who were really crying out for this technology to be in their neighborhood. And I would love if you could kind of speak to, you know, both what you were saying before, that there is there is a narrative now that pushes back against it. Mm -hmm. But that also we have this other narrative where surveillance is going to be the only thing that saves us. Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, folks are in a desperate situation. You know, they're living in neighborhoods that are experiencing high levels of quality of life crime. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of them were testifying to extreme trauma, losing a loved one to gun violence. Mm -hmm. And so I understand why one might say, you know, give police whatever they need because I'm I'm, I'm in pain, I'm traumatized. And some note so far, nothing seems to have worked. The responsibility and onus is not on the community members who have been harmed and violated. It's on the government and these tech companies to be honest and transparent about what they actually are imposing upon our communities. And so mass surveillance 
historically has been weaponized against, as you already stated, uh, people of color and most prominently black people. If you think about Dr. Simone Brown's book, Dark Matters, where she talks about the 18th, 18th century lantern laws, where you had to carry a lit candle lantern in front of your face if you wasn't in the presence of a white person. Mm. It ties to mm-hmm. why we have green light in particular neighborhoods mm-hmm. in our community. It ties to why they're able to unveil $8.5 million worth of shot spotter technology that also records audio conversations mm-hmm. in predominantly black neighborhoods. It ties to why face recognition, which even the former chief of police said that it had like a 96% inaccuracy rate. Mm-hmm. And they use analysts to make up for that, you know, that wide gap with mm-hmm. only 4% accuracy. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's a direct lineage of trying to create a sort of panopticon, which is like this this way of surveilling an entire community mm-hmm. without them actually knowing how much surveillance mm-hmm. is being imposed upon them. Mm-hmm. And so if you leverage the greatest fears of a society, you're able to weaponize and use your own agenda as a tech lobbyist, as a government, as law enforcement, because they're in a situation of desperation. And so what we try to do is make clear, number one, as my comrades at Stop LAPD Spying Coalition say, we're trying to shift from paranoia to power. Number one. And then number two, um, the work we're doing with uh, green chairs, not green lights. We're trying to uh, feed them. Freedom has really taken a strong stance in this position of trying to have uh, community members have these conversations about what it really meant to be safe, to feel safe, because there were times even in those neighborhoods where people felt safer. Yeah. Right. Um, Safe is in the eye of the beholder at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. But. It has never been surveillance. Uh, it has never been militarized policing. It is. It has never been those external situations that are being imposed on our neighborhoods. It's always been. I know my neighbor. I see my neighbor. Um, I know what's going on on my street. I have resources in my community. Mm-hmm. My neighbors aren't having their water turned off. My the elders aren't being evicted. Mm-hmm. The schools are not being closed. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you start to have those conversations and tap into that nostalgia of when we had a greater level of safety mm-hmm. um, in our communities, then people start to remember that it wasn't all of those systems. Yeah. You know, and so that's when you mm-hmm. get the resistance. They're like, wait a minute. I feel like I've been duped because you told me this thing, which was st- statistically inaccurate. And also, too, I remember a time when I felt safe and it was none of the things that you are that you're using our tax dollars on. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's so funny. I was having this conversation with somebody the other day and they were saying, you know, well, how do I really push back? You know, because I think what people got caught up on, too, was this uh, the idea of defunding the police scared them. Mm-hmm. And well, what but does that look like when the and, schools were defunded, yeah. and the water was defunded? Well, but also, <laughs> you know, you know, um, the, the, the people most advocating that they don't understand defunding of the police um, are living in communities typically where the police stations don't have overbloated budgets. Right. So they actually do understand that you could have a safe community mm-hmm. with one sleepy little 
police officer, mm-hmm. right? Just like they are 15 or- minutes outside the city. Yeah, they already <laughs> understand abolition yeah. because their communities yeah. are not hyper surveilled. Right. 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 (laughs) Like they understand exactly. And they're heavily resourced. They're heavily resourced. Mm -hmm. They have the community organizations that they need. Their kids got music and art programs at their school. They got rec centers galore to be able to go to. Mm -hmm. Like they absolutely understand what that looks like. Yeah. So then the, what you're saying is the hypocrisy. of Yeah. It all, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. like even even in the city of Detroit, if you go to the more affluent neighborhoods in the city of Detroit, you're not going to see flashing green lights everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. so um, it's just there is a different level of what it means to be human. Even within the city. Some folks have been written off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the the solution is to contain and monitor mm-hmm. and until they're entrapped mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and they're no longer a mm-hmm. problem mm-hmm. for the upper echelon and mm-hmm. folks who are moving with upward mobility. And I say with full transparency, I, you know, I have a decent income. I wouldn't consider myself on um, the lower end of income as a resident of the city of Detroit. Now, I've been there. I've been with the water mm-hmm. hose through the window and mm-hmm. not knowing what I'm going to eat tomorrow. But I'm not there now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't speak. I can never speak on behalf of everyone in their yeah. experience because we're not a monolith. But what I can do is bring new information to community members who are really only being taught propaganda, mm-hmm. right? So they, you know, they they sit at the at the news mm-hmm. and they're, you know, they're they're getting the, the two o'clock, four o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock news, and they're all they're being fed is crime stats and how to be afraid of your neighbor. And so we're try we try to have a lot more community type discussions about the realities of why your neighbor might be looking at you as a meal because they haven't eaten all week. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So if you create a situation where that's what any living species, if you, if I was to leave a dog tied up to a tree and not feed them for a week and then let them go, whatever is in close proximity is going to become food. And so that is with any living species, you're either, you're, it's a fight or flight response. It's like either, either I'm going to whittle away and not fight for my survival or I'm going to fight for my survival. Mm-hmm. And when you've been dehumanized to yeah. the degree that so many Detroiters have yeah. been dehumanized or in other communities that are disenfranchised and marginalized, not just Detroit, then sometimes your your behavior is not in the most humane way because you've been so dehumanized. Mm-hmm. So you need a respiriting, you need a refueling, you need resources, you know what I'm saying, to become the best version of yourself. And that's what people are asking for when they say defund the police. They're saying they get they have a three hundred million dollar budget and a high quality of life crime rate. Make it make sense. Mm -hmm. Surveillance hasn't helped. Mm -hmm. Militarizing the police hasn't helped. Mm -hmm. The things we haven't tried yet are making sure that our communities are taken care of. How about we try that experiment Mm -hmm. for a while? Mm -hmm. And actually, we have lots of evidence to show that that actually just works. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) All around us. All around us. There's tons of evidence to show that that works. Yeah. So, I mean, when you think about what it looks like in terms of like how 
you um, move forward with this work or with this fight. And, and I know I called you right after that city council meeting. I was <laughs> yeah. like, I feel so bad about right. what just happened. Yeah. And I remember you, um, you said, you know what? One, we did have a win though mm-hmm. today. Yeah. Um, because it didn't come out of American rescue plan. Yeah. Plans. Yeah. They have to take it out of the police budget. Mm-hmm. And it was really great to be able to, okay, we've got to count our wins and we've got to see them for wins as they see them. Yeah. Otherwise, why keep doing this work if you if you can't recognize, you know, any progress, you know, mm-hmm. it, it becomes very difficult to get up and keep doing this, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like even if it's not the win we want, you know, we did free up funds that can be leveraged for community use. And we just have to make sure those funds get allocated for that use, mm-hmm. you know. So so um, speaking about that, mm-hmm. so like I, I kind of want to I'll spin back around after this. But I also want to um, give a moment for you to talk about um, this upcoming discotheque yes. that you guys have going on. Yes. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> so what is discotech and yeah what yeah, yeah. Should people so shouts out to the detroit digital justice coalition which formed in 2009 uh, i've been convening it since 2016 um and so we do what's called discotechs it's a play on words short for discovering technology mm. but we also have music and mm-hmm. fun and stuff so it's like it is a discotheque uh-huh. but it's like mainly around tech yeah and so this time time. Shouts out to Riverwise for partnering with us. Uh, we're going to do it with Akiba, at Akibalon Village, which is also uh, a partner for the discotheque and skate. So it's Detroit Digital Justice Coalition and Akibalon Village, which is located at uh, 7701 Harper in Detroit, 48213. On Sunday, November 13th, from 1 to 3 p.m. And our other community partners are Detroit Community Technology Project, Detroit is Different, um, Family First Solar, Mindful Bee, Petty Propolis, and of course, Riverwise. And so we're going to have Village Pizza there. We're going to have skating. Uh, we ask people to bring their own skates. There are some skates there available for rental, but we want to make sure they have your size. So if you have skates, bring skates. Okay. Skate at your own risk. Nobody's, you know, uh, we're not teaching people to skate. <laughs> so please know how to skate. And is this um, free of charge? It's free of charge. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be food, refreshments. There are going to be tech stations where you, you learn about data and digital safety. Um, There's going to be a beat making station. There's going to be a Wi-Fi, like with a portable network kit station, solar station, like so many stations where we get to engage with the community. Okay. So you guys heard it. Um, Discotech Saturday, November 13th. Sunday, November 13th. Sunday, sorry. Sunday, November 13th from 1 to 3 Mm -hmm. at Alkebulon Village Mm -hmm. on Harper. Yep. It's free. There's going to be food. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, frustrated with yourself for not being able to figure out something technological. Right. If you're frustrated with your mama because she keeps asking <laughs> you how to hook up the Wi-Fi. Right. Like, um, this is a good place. Um, I know that also throughout um, 
the year there will like um you guys will do like workshops and all those kinds of things so this is a great place to come and learn more absolutely about- and i forget to name feed and freedom is also oh, a part yeah. of it and yeah. you know feed and freedom we love them mm-hmm. um and so you'll get to meet some people from different organizations around the city yeah build your skill set at yeah. tech which yeah. i know there's some things like i or like i was like mm, i want to go to that little yeah. yeah go check out um i mean it's everywhere from like how to strengthen your password to portable network kits, right? Yeah. It's like runs the gamut yeah. on the things that we'll get to talk about. And then you get to learn more about the stuff that Detroit Digital Justice Coalition is planning to do um, around the city. Cool. And eat some free pizza. Like free you pizza. do it. Bro. Homemade. Really good. Yeah. Village Green. We're going to have <laughs> vegan and vegetarian. We're, mm-hmm. But if you want to order like, you know, meat and other options, uh, then you can... Like order, pay yeah, for you can it. pay yeah. for it. Okay. But we're we're gonna yeah. provide the vegan and vegetarian pieces. Awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I guess and this kind of like ties into what I was gonna ask you. Um, you know, I think on everybody's mind all the time who's doing this kind of work mm-hmm. is what's the best way to reach our communities with these messages? Yeah, you know, you one thing that I learned is you go into a community not knowing everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, be prepared to share what you know, but be prepared to learn what they know as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I like to I didn't always think of us as not a monolith. I always thought like, hey, if I'm experiencing this thing, then everybody must be experiencing something similar. And so I've learned that every person that I engage with has a different experience, even for the same thing. And so mm-hmm. you really have to open your ears and your heart, be be ready to listen. You know, they say silent and listen, have the same letters for a reason. Mm. And so I, I try to go in with that mindset. Um, but if I've learned something that I found useful um, and can add to, you know, critical thinking and more analysis on the subject, then I'm sharing it. You know, it's passing resources, it's political education, um, it's studying uh, future, uh, you know, past generations of a similar movements. Um, and it's learning from young people who are on the front lines, really, of all this stuff. At mm. the end of the day, mm-hmm. um, we're more spectators than we are <laughs> than we are uh, guiders because the young people are on the front lines of, of pretty much every struggle out here. And so really, there needs to just be a bridge um, and a reclamation of the village mm. um, so that, you know, our generations can come together and, and co-liberate us from. Uh, all these harmful systems, but it really does start with listening and, and, uh, and engaging in meaningful dialogue and then moving on from there. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And Riverwise, uh-huh. pass out Riverwise to like every single person, you know, because <laughs> I carry it in my car at all times. So yeah. I love that. Just saying. <laughs> Um, yes, that's how you know. Me too. It's like before I started like, hold working. On, hold on, hold on one second. Have I you heard the me. actual good word today? Like, uh-huh. yes. it's in here. Um, okay, yeah, I love that. I think that that's um, especially when we're talking about in the context of all of this, right? Yeah. When you're talking about, you know 
data and digital and all those kinds of things at the end of the day, mm-hmm. those are just big meta words for information. Yeah. And who is in control of certain kind of, or who's perceived as in control of Absolutely. information. Yeah. And I think it's such a big part of like having control over our own lives mm-hmm. and being able to create safety for our communities and all of that is understanding what's happening with information and then being able to also put, put those narratives out there for ourselves. And so that's one level of self-determination today. Once I learned that the meta team, not to be confused with Facebook, the Mm -hmm. Twitter meta team was laid off. I tweeted my last tweet. Really? Are you done with Twitter? I'm done with Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, At least from my personal page now, you know, I can't, there might be some situations where I have to leverage it for work. Yeah. But um, for my, from my personal page, I tweeted my last tweet today. Mm -hmm. Um, I got off Facebook's similar reasons reasons a a Mm -hmm. few years ago. So, um, so yeah, I'm not tied to it. I understand that that is an information ecosystem and a lot of people benefit from getting information on there. But sometimes our strongest stance is to not engage with systems that are violent, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and that's a privileged perspective to take, because like I said, there are people who really rely upon these systems Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. to engage with. But, you know, we do what we can from our particular individual capacity and perspectives. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then we try to connect um, so that we can make a systemic impact. And so it really is about everyone doing their part and contributing to a better society the best way they know how at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, guys, um, you heard it here first. <laughs> Disco Tech on the 13th. Um, I w- I'm going to re- Uplift, checking out Towards Humanity, um, Tumana's book. You know, if you were interested, what she keeps saying, this collaboration, this co-conspirator throughout the, you know, throughout the podcast, um, you will learn all about um, the idea of moving from, you know, this outdated notion of allyship into a, a space of collaboration and co- being a co-conspirator. Um, it's something I think everybody should just have in their toolkit. Um, and you also heard we need to show up um, and really think very critically about um, who we want watching us, mm-hmm. right? Um, do we want it to watch, be, right? you know, grandma on the street who knew us and who was like, you know, even if you cause a little trouble, still go feed you? Or do you want it to be somebody who doesn't, can't even tell you apart from um, the next, the person next to you? So yeah. um, that's a lot of good food for thought. We appreciate you coming here and spending your time with us today. Is there any last words you want to leave the audience with? Just stay in touch. You know, follow Detroit Digital Justice Coalition, follow follow Petty Propolis. Um, My personal website is tawanapetty.org. Petty Propolis is pettypropolis.org. And then, yeah, just follow our work. Um, We're we're trying to stay connected to this ecosystem of co-liberators. Okay. And, you know. and we'll make sure that those links go up too so you can see them um, when you uh, read the description for the podcast. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. We appreciate you. You too.